How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Good evening and welcome to a special Valentine's edition of Advantage Connors. Here is always your lovable hosts, Brett and Jimmy Connors. What's going on, <laughs> Lovable host. I love I love it. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day to everybody, all our listeners and Welcome to a Valentine's Day edition of uh, Advantage Counters podcast. And it's been a great day. I just came back from a great dinner with your mom. You know, my favorite Valentine. And I know you got a couple of your own at home with with uh, Melwin and, of course, the favorite Golden Doodle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. The yep. mascot herself. She's here. Yep. Underneath Isabella. The yep. As we speak, underneath my feet, hanging out. Um, yep. So t- tell me what you did. You went out to dinner. Do you guys have some fun? Yeah, we uh, we went and had a great dinner with our friends Sandy and Dennis, and and uh, sat around and talked a bit. And you know, we've been uh, friends since we moved over to to Montecito from the San Ynez Valley. We've been uh, friends ever since. And and during the mudslides and the fires, they they took us in, and uh, you know, we uh, they're they're like family to us. And we had a great evening, a good dinner, and uh, some great conversation. So it's good to be home, and uh, and we I've got uh, Bogey and and Stevie. I got to get in, but it's been a good day. But but you know what I want to talk about, Bretter? Mm. Yeah, our animals. We loved our animals. Uh, I I started out. I had a dog when I was two three years old, growing up in in a small town in Illinois, and you. Growing up, uh, when uh, with uh, with our, our first golden retriever, Goldie, who you named, and mm-hmm. you know uh, all all our goldens and our schnauzers, so we had a crazy experience. We take our our little schnauzer Bogey, and we take him uh, twice a year to get his teeth cleaned, because it, it's uh, it's good for them to you know it's healthy for them and and to you know because if, if you know things go bad, then you know their health goes bad. But they had a crazy experience. And when I went down to see your sister about two, two and a half weeks ago down in Florida, I stayed home. Uh, we took Bogey out to get his teeth cleaned. We went to get him and brought him home and everything was fine. So I took an overnight flight. Little did I know, and your mom never told me, she told your sister, she says, please don't tell your dad, please don't tell your dad, that overnight as I was flying, Bogey had three seizures. Jesus. 
and and so you know he's had his teeth cleaned before but was he gets knocked out right he has to be knocked out for it he gets knocked out but he's been knocked out you know before but you know was it the the medication they put him on afterwards or 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 whatever but boy oh boy i mean it's just you know and and uh, you know i i got home and your mom told me and, and i'm also a little you know, a little upset with your sister, Aubrey, you know, for not telling me because, you you know, me, I'd have been on the next flight back, <laughs> you know, right. back home. But it's crazy how things happen. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I know how it was, you know, wh- when you and your sister were growing up and, and you know, and, and you, you know, from the very beginning when you had your uh, your animals, your dogs and your cats and your rabbits yeah. and your the your uh, uh, horses and and everything, you know, just what they mean to you, and and uh, wow, I mean, you know, when I found that out, you know, now now you know, I'm I'm up in the middle of the night going, you okay, you know, you're breathing, is mm-hmm. it everything okay? And 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 it's yeah, it you know, it, and it's interesting. Your mom, uh, your mom just uh, came in and said, you know, your your appendicitis attack when we were in Vail. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you know how. how and then two how years ago, happen. I had it taken out. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then yeah, you you were little. I wasn't even there. Yeah, but so I actually you, you know, taken out like two years ago. Last year, I had it taken out. Right, thirty yeah. years later. <laughs> I know how funny that it takes that long to act up. You know, it's it's crazy how things happen and and how fast it happens. And uh, you know, I mean, you know me with my animals, and uh, yeah. you know, I I, I love them, and and. Uh, uh, you know, for for that to have happened, and you know, now you know it's uh in the middle of the confession. night. I've got I've got Stevie on one side or little cat Bogey on the other, and all night I'm up. You know, you okay? Everything okay? You know, I'm paranoid. I'm OCD, but you know what the hell? You know, but yeah. uh, it's crazy. Yeah. I have a confession. But in, in, anyway, I, I just a, thought I I'd, I'd share that with everybody. But uh, but in the meantime, Bogey's doing great. Uh, it's been two and a half weeks now, and and uh, there's uh, been there's been no seizure, no uh, right. no ill effects of it, so he's doing fine. Yeah, I have a confession. Uh, she told me too, and uh, oh, told me all not. of you held it as a secret. <laughs> not, all not right, to tell you, all right. But, uh, yeah. I'm the odd man out. I get yeah. it. I, we, we didn't want to. We didn't want to ruin your chances of finishing fifth out of sixth in that golf <laughs> tournament down there, baby. <laughs> Yeah, but I played well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's better than sixth. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No uh, kidding. Well, All right. Thing three out of four scary. ain't bad. You know, yeah. I, I feel like Meatloaf. He was two out of three ain't bad. I'm three out of four ain't bad. That's not so yeah. bad. Um, uh, well, the scary part is that they knock them out. You know, yeah. I think that's the thing is it medication or the, you know, they're under for an hour. And then they say every time you're knocked out, it's really scary. Even for people, you know, like, you know, every time you... You're knocked out. There's a small chance that you might not come back. So right. I think it's best to try and you know minimize the times you knock anybody out, especially the older a dog gets. So it's, uh, it's scary. But uh, yeah, I, I, and our, our, our bogey's going to be eight. Uh, you yeah. know, and and uh, you know he he's still he's, as far as little snouchers go, eight. Uh, that's still young, but mm-hmm. still, I mean, it's uh, I I don't know. So so what we've done is we've we've done a deep dive now, and 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 we've done all the research and and we've come up with our own way to clean his teeth. Uh, <laughs> nice. and, and, and it's, you know, but you know, he doesn't That's like good. it, but you know, it keeps him from being knocked out and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think he's going to do okay. But, you know, all our listeners are going to say, Jesus Christ, well, you know, is this guy lost his mind? Yes, I have. Because I don't I'm, know. 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I have, but, uh, you know, I'm willing to do anything to take care of my, my pets. I love them. Right. I have a feeling a lot of our listeners out there are the same with, uh, with their animals, but, uh, yeah, we've had a, a eventful Valentine's day here. I came home from work, got off work, uh, did some stuff. Uh, Melina had to go take an MRI. Uh, oh. she, she'd been having stuff with her shoulder, thinking about getting shoulder surgery. So about an, an hour before we recorded, you know, sexy Valentine's day plans we have, she went to go get her MRI. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got a text about 10 minutes into the MRI and, uh, she had a really bad spell of claustrophobia and, uh, it had to, they said, take me out, get me out of this thing. <laughs> so they, so they took her out of it. And she's got a wow. she's got a research tool. And, and to be honest, I, I know what that's like. A few years ago, I had to get one. And I had never had claustrophobia ever in my life. And mm-hmm. now these last four or five years, I have these like little spells. Sometimes I'm on a plane if I'm put in the corner. Or like one time I got an MRI and I kind of freaked out. I was like, my legs were like shaking so much. And I was just like sweating so bad that yeah. the, the MRI like failed. They're like, it, di- it didn't work. You're going to have to go in again. I was like, hell no. You know? So, no. They gave, they no. sent me the one that's got like an, it's more open around your head and, and has a little bit more room. And and so that worked out. So we got to get Melina taken care of uh, with that. So it, it, it's, it's, it's not good being hurt or mm. sick. Uh, you, you know, some, you know, you're, you're hurt or you're sick and then you have to go through all that. And that that's even worse. And, and I've had MRIs too, Brett, you know, that, and, and uh, you know, that's a tight squeeze. You yeah. know, going in, going in that little tunnel, like, and your, you know, your nose and face is right up against the top, and you know, you know, I, uh, what, what do you do? Do you, you know, I count backwards from a thousand, mm-hmm. you know, or, or whatever it takes to, to get through it. But uh, yeah, you know, it's... getting hurt and sick. But, but uh, I, I guess the, the one question I got to ask is, she's going through an MRI. What, are, what are they, they saying? Is it shoulder surgery? Maybe. And what, what, yeah. what about PRP? I mean, yeah. I think they just want to look at it and see. I think she got an MRI a couple of years ago when she first started looking into maybe having surgery. And uh, I guess they didn't do the right area. The person didn't do it correct. Or I don't know. Maybe they're price gouging. They just want more money in another <laughs> an MRI. But uh, yeah, you're right. When you're in there, you know, and it's it's quiet. You can like hear your own thoughts and your own heartbeat almost. And then it starts to go like. Right. Make make <laughs> Makes a good. lot of crazy sounds. Yeah. So the one I eventually went to was interesting. It was like, oh, kind of open around the head. And then what they did is they took this, like, it was like a mirror and they like put this little mirror thing kind of over your head and it reflected out the window behind the MRI machine. And like out the window was like Wilshire or something. It's in like Westwood or something. And so like your head pokes kind of out. And instead of just looking straight up at like the, you know, the, the tube or whatever it is, you're looking at this like mirror and then it's reflecting out the window and so it makes it seem like there's all this space and you're looking at the cars and you see the sky and everything behind you and, and kind of like tricks your brain into thinking you're not stuck in a uh in a tube in a tube <laughs> uh, i don't know it, it's better not to be hurt or sick right do, do just stay away from doctors to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, take care <laughs> of yourself i think that's the best thing but right. uh, do, what, what what do we have do we have some good questions uh yeah we got some questions listeners uh, throw some things at us what's up yeah we put it put it out on our facebook you guys came out again gave us some good stuff i can tell that mom wants you not to last long i know it's valentine's you guys got some uh some sexy plans uh after the podcast so we'll uh 
we'll try and make it go fast here. But uh, and we'll talk about that on a later podcast. <laughs> <laughs> After hours. After um, hours. Yep. So yeah, we'll go into some tennis. I'm producing T2 this week on Tennis Channel. Uh, if you haven't checked out T2, it's it's kind of blowing up. These last two weeks, we finally started getting uh, sponsors and some paid elements on the channel. We're starting to get some other shows. We got Second Serve, which is kind of like a Manning cast where we have, you know, different talent come on and they talk the tennis. And and so we're uh, I'm producing it this week with my buddy, you know, our friend of the pod, Leaf Shiras and, and Ari Wolf. We're having a oh, good time. good so, we're good with Leaf. Give Leaf my best. Uh, he's, yeah. he's my buddy. Yeah. Yep. For sure. We got but, but, but Warren G, you were you were the one uh, you know a couple of years ago who really, you know, uh, went over to T two, right? And and uh, started uh, you know, uh, making it popular. Uh, yeah. uh, wasn't it, it a couple of years ago? Yeah. It's a, I mean, I started producing with tennis channel about, you know, tape produced for 10, 11 years, but started doing the regular producing line producing about three or four years ago. And, and T2 started about two, two, three years ago, I think. And so, uh, you know, kind of started doing it on T2. Sometimes I'm on, on regular tennis channel, but mostly I do T2 and it's been fun to watch it grow and, and become this new thing. And, and it, it seems to be, doing really well. I think technically it's available in more homes than the regular tennis channel because of the streaming and the YouTube and, and all the different sites where you can and watch it and uh, Samsung TV. And so it's just, it's fun. It's like, we, we don't have the same commercial load, meaning we don't have to go to break every time there's a, you know, every two games when there's a sit down, you know, most people have to go to commercial because of the commercial, because of the load you have to do with all the sponsors, but uh, we don't have to do that as much. So we're able to, you know, Hey, you know, he holds it's three, two. Why don't we jump over and watch the rest of this tie break in this other match while they sit down, you know, for two or three mm-hmm. minutes, you know, and then we pop up a two box and then we, you know, we, we play back a highlight from earlier. Or we show an interview and, and it just gives us a little more freedom and, and it's fun. And it's, uh, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a good, good future ahead of it. A lot of potential and, and, uh, everyone should check it out. Yeah. But you've been there since the beginning. Right. And, and, you know, with, uh, with the growth that's happening now with the other shows and, you know, the popularity, uh, you know, you know, I, I always look back that whoever gets in there on the beginning is the one that helps make it uh, turn out to be what it is. And, you know, I'm proud of you for that, son. Yeah, uh, I'm proud of you, you know, that uh, you, know, you you've uh, you've you, you work hard. And I mean, I know everybody at Tennis Channel works hard and, you know, to bring our listeners and you know, tennis to, to everybody around the world. But, uh, I'm proud of you. You, you start, you got in there at the beginning, you, you stuck with it, you made it popular and, you know, you're, you're going to start, uh, hopefully reaping the benefits, uh, you know, not only you, but also T2. So yeah. I'm yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, you know, it's fun. Cause I get to work with a lot of my buddies on it. And, uh, I think in the beginning it was like, kind of like, Oh, it's just whatever. It's just the second channel, whatever. No one cares about it. It's just on the internet. But then I think more and more as as it's grown and people have seen the potential, a lot of more a lot more people want to be on it and but part of it and you know are starting to get involved. And I think Roddick has a show that's starting on it in the, in the next month or two with John Wertheim. So that'll be interesting. But uh, enough about that. Let's get into some questions here. We'll rapid fire. Try not to go too deep on uh, some of them, so then we can get through some more of them, and then I'll get you out of here. How about that? I will not go deep. I promise. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Far away. Keith Allen says, what was it like playing at the U.S. Open when it was at Forest Hills? Oh, uh, more traditional. It, it was the walk from, from the little clubhouse to the center court. Once you step off the, the little ledge onto the grass courts and walk across that, whether it was grass or clay, was an amazing walk. But it was more traditional. 
mm-hmm. once they went uh, 1970, once they moved over to Flushing Meadows and the concrete jungle, that was more me. Even though I played well at uh, uh, at Forest Hills, uh, one, once I got to the concrete jungle and the fans and the you know the the craziness that went on around there, that was more me, my attitude, and my game, and and uh, and I played like it. It was it was great. But yeah. Forest, Forest Hills was great. Don't get me wrong. But uh, one, once we outgrew Forest Hills, yeah. you know the the sev- the early seventies and the guys that came in. And the interest that we created in tennis, we outgrew that. So we had to go somewhere else. And Slew Hester, who who had the vision of going to Flushing Meadows and, and uh, creating that, was amazing and uh, really shot tennis to the top. Yeah, I kind of think of Forest Hill. I mean, it, it's pretty cool. It's still there today. Like, I know they, they do a lot of music concerts, which I think it's like yes. an awesome, kind of an awesome venue to see a concert. I've never done it, but I know people who have, and they say it's I, I have. I, I've seen a number of concerts there, and and uh, it's an amazing venue for that. I mean, that was well, way back in, you know, the... who did you the, see? Uh, I saw Bette Midler there, which was <laughs> was an amazing show, and, and it was... I went to see her there as as I was playing the U.S. Open, and it was amazing. But the the venue to see that was was great. But yeah, I mean, as a as a, a tennis stadium, it was uh, it was great because the fans were pretty close. They were down pretty close, right on top of you, but not as close as when we moved to to Flushing Meadows. I mean, mm-hmm. the the fans at Flushing were almost, yeah, I mean, they they were in a, a wide forehand down the line for me. And, you know, so, uh, you know, so I, I got, uh, which was what I liked best, Brad, is, you know, the fans being a part of what I did and down mm-hmm. on the court with me and at Flushing, Meadow, uh, Flushing, Meadow, Flushing Meadows, they, they were like that. I mean, they, you know, like I said, they helped me win more matches. Maybe I should have, but mm-hmm. that's because they were so close and, and on top of me and I could hear what they were saying. And unfortunately, sometimes they heard what I was saying, but that's what made That's what made us so close. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think the U S open and tennis a little bit outgrew it, not in like a negative way, but it was just becoming a bigger sport. And then, like you said, you're one of your big, you know, trademarks is that you took it from the country club, tennis from the country club, kind of to, you know, the concrete jungle or to the streets or to the, you know, the regular sports fan. And I think that's almost like a metaphor when you guys left in 78 to go to Flushing. It was like, you know, that was it leaving the country club and going to a bigger audience and, and more your regular sports fan in New York. Yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing time and a good change. Yep. And like, and like Arthur Ashe Stadium, as good as it is, it's, they're far. Like if you have a front row seat, like you look next time you watch U.S. Open match, the from the court to the actual first row is pretty far. So like they're like you know you could hit three forehands way wide and 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 you wouldn't hit anybody. So those cozy cozy stadiums early on were were pretty sweet though. Yeah, uh, for viewing, yeah. especially if you're a fan. All right, Mark Sedwick, what's the wild? We've are we've talked about the challenge matches in Vegas and Caesars over the years and the winner take all. Mark asks, what's the wildest challenge match head to head you played there? Oh, I think the uh, the best match was the first one against Laver. You know, after I, I won, I, I had won Australia. I was kept out of the French. Then I won Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. So I was really kept, because I was kept out of the French, I was kept from winning the Grand Slam in 1974. And afterwards, I said, you know, to Bill Reardon, I, you know, I was just talking to him. I said, you know, who was... You know who has won the Grand Slam? I I knew Labor had won too, and I said, well, you know, I, I you know I want to play Labor. Give me, you know, let, let's, let me play Labor, you know. Mm-hmm. And then and then uh, you know, so all of a sudden, wow, there was a challenge match 
uh, you know, and in, in, uh, in Las Vegas uh, against me and Labor at Caesar's Palace, and you know, Reardon, Bill Reardon was the the Barnum and Bailey of tennis. I mean, he well, you know, had an amazing imagination, you know, to set up this match, to get it on CBS, to get it at Caesar's Palace, you know, to get that kind of interest and that kind of publicity and that kind of money, you know, back in those days, you know, for a one-on-one match. Yeah, it, you know, and and you know, I, you know, I was at the top of my game then. You know, labor was getting a little older, and and you know, it was time for me to take over. But still, you know, what he was able to bring to that match. I mean, I think I beat him six four uh, in the four set. Uh, uh, it was a four set match, six four seven five in the four set. But the tennis was amazing, and the crowd was amazing. And, you know, it was a small little stadium, but yeah. the the television audience. And uh, the interest that we got from from the television audience is what helped tennis shoot to a different level. And uh, it was it was fun. It was a great time. Great time yeah. for me. Yeah. If you Google that on uh, or check it out on YouTube, uh, I think Labor had like a little longer hair uh, and he was a little older. But man, dude, you guys are playing on like a uh, ice fast court. It's so fast and he's coming to the net every time and he's putting the pressure on you and it feels like the speed for being in the early seventies with the equipment is still pretty fast. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's attacking and you're playing these great, you know, defensive shots and passing shots on them and, and, the and the crowd's great. And the fact that it's in Vegas makes it fun, but yeah, those, and, and, those... and, and the personalities in the, in, in the crowd, Brad, I mean, uh, you know, to get a ticket to that, it was a small little stadium, 4,000 people where they used to have boxing matches at Caesars, you know, which, you know, which were, were amazing also, but, but, the the, the crowd and, and the personalities were there. Hollywood was there, you know, a lot of the, you know, the stars because tennis back in the seventies and the early eighties was very popular with Hollywood and the stars and, and, uh, the, what they thought of tennis and they all had courts in their backyard and, you know, we were able to go there and play with them and, you know, and kind of, you know, get to know them a little bit. And, and, and in turn, they supported, you know, the game itself, mm-hmm. you know, so, I mean, the, you know, the excitement that that created in, and also let's face it in Vegas, how can you beat that? Right. Caesar's palace uh, on the strip in Las Vegas, you know, Sin City, <laughs> you know, you know, I hate to I hate to go back to the days, but it was it was and still is one of my favorite places to go. So, it was it was uh, fun for me to be a part of that. Nice. I like that. All right, Peter Bingston. This is a good question. I want to get your take on this. He says okay. very soon we can have a top 10 rankings on the ATP without a player that has a one-handed backhand. Right now I looked, just pulled up the top 10. Hanging on at number 10 is Stefano Tsitsipas. If you go down a few more, uh, Gregor Dimitrov's at 13. But that's about it. I mean, you go down more, I can't see, find the next one. I'm not sure where the next one is, but uh, maybe Musetti at, at 26. But, uh, you know, three out of the top 30 with one-handers and, and only one in the top 10. What do you think's happened with that? Because when you came into the game, almost everyone had a one-hander. You were unique. You and Chrissy and some other players, you know, oh my God, two backhand. It's so different. How's he going to do it? Uh, and then now it's like swung so far the other way where there's, you know, only a couple, you know, a few guys, you know, towards the top that happened. I started a trend, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, but obviously, you, you know, back in, in the seventies when, you know, I came in and Chrissy came in and Borg came in, Eddie Dibbs came in, Harold Solomon came in. You know, uh, Pancho Segura, 
you know, who, you know, uh, mentored me, had a, had a two-handed forehand, you know, so, you know, things changed then. And and the the two-handed backhand, you know, was good in ways, but also bad in ways. Uh, you know, it was good because, you know, had that extra hand, so you had extra power, you had better direction. Uh, uh, but but if, if you weren't moving your feet and you weren't getting to the ball in time, you would always be late to get that other hand around there. So, you know, you really had to to work and to train and, and to, you know, understand just exactly what, you know, having a two-handed backhand was really all about. You know, when when I played, let's see, Edberg had a one-handed backhand, McEnroe had a one-handed backhand, Panada had a one-handed back. I mean, there's a lot of guys that Lindell, had a one-handed back. Lendl, yes, but, but yeah, the the two-handed backhand really came in in the '70s, the early '70s, and and became very popular because a lot of the young players saw that and they saw exactly what it could do and and the benefits of it if you were willing to to work hard at perfecting it. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it, it was, it's, it, it, it hasn't been a fad, you know, where it, it, it is, it came in and lasted, you know, four or five years and, and then disappeared. I mean, it's been, you know, 40, 50 years now, 50, 60 years now, maybe even more mm-hmm. that, uh, that, uh, the two handed back end has been around and, and, uh, you know, and it looks like it's staying. I mean, I know yeah. there's a lot of one-handed backhands on on the men's and the women's side, but uh, but still, the two-handed backhand is, uh, I think, is here to stay. Yeah, there's a. I mean, I have a two-handed backhand, but there's something really pretty about the one-hander. You know, like when 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 they just load up and they extend, and they're kind of like you know their arms are spread apart and the chest goes out like if in front of their body. They put throw everything into it. It's uh, it's kind of cool looking. It feels like kind of like classic, like old school. You know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. two hand, more new school and then the one hander. But uh, it's interesting to see. There's some guys, you know, like, you know, that are still doing it. So I, I think there's always room for it. I, I like when there's a few guys in the in the top, like Stan with his one hander. Fed yeah. obviously great one. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 beautiful to watch. And that and that's what makes tennis so exciting, because if you look at the guys, you know, starting you know, way back with the, you know, Gonzalez and Segura and, you know, leading up to my generation and then, you know, uh, Edberg and Becker and, and Sampras and Courier and, and then, and then into the Federer and, and uh, the generation now, that's what makes tennis so exciting that not, if everybody played the same, it's no fun. Uh, you know, let, let somebody be different. Let somebody have a one-handed backhand and serve in volley and, you know, uh, know what it's like to, to uh, play the baseline and get to the net and, and do everything, you know, as opposed to everybody just playing the exact same. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, uh, you know, with uh, the one-handed backhand, Federer had a one-handed backhand. Djokovic has a two-handed backhand. Nadal has a two-handed backhand. You know, so well, that made for a pretty good rivalries, right? Right. You know, so, you know, why change that? Make it make it possible that uh, you play your own game. Yeah, I, I always go back to what Arnold Palmer said about in golf. And and uh, I know we've talked about this too, Brett. He mm-hmm. says, swing your own swing. You know, you I, I can't swing like Palmer or Nicholas or Tom Watson or uh, Rory McIlroy or Tiger Woods or, or whoever. I got to swing my own swing to be successful. And it's the same in tennis. You know, mm-hmm. go, you know, have your own game, play your own game and perfect your own game to make you the best that you can be with that. And, and if it's good enough, it's going to hold up. It's not, 
And it won't. Do something else. Right. <laughs> what, what do they say? Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that before. Where'd you come yeah. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. I've heard it somewhere, but it's a good I one. I like that. It's like, why try to be everyone else? Anyone else? They're already them. So all you can do is be yourself. All right. How about this one? Steven Dupay. Jimmy, what did you do to not get tense during crucial points of the match? How did you do it? What did you well, focus on? And there's your I, favorite I, word, focus. Yeah, I hate that. Don't <laughs> tell me focus. Don't say that. Uh, I was always taught from the very beginning to cut loose. Be, you know, you just said it, be yourself. Go out and play your game, you know, to the maximum. And if you do that, you don't have time to get nervous. You know, I use the warm up. I was nervous before walking out uh, onto the court before a match, but those first couple shots that you know, I'm worrying about moving my feet and getting my racket back, and you know, trying to time the ball, you know, and so that so that when the match starts, I don't have to think about that. You know, that everything comes natural to me because I've worked on it day after day after minute after minute after sec. You know, uh, you know, throughout the course of you know, every, every day, every week, every month, you know, uh, uh, of the year, you know, so, you know, I, I didn't have time to get nervous. So I was taught you go out there and be you cut loose. And, you know, when I keep going back to those initials that my mom always put on my racket, W L O D I P M G. You know what that stood for, Brett? And you know, cause I put it on your racket when you were a kid also. Win, lose, or draw, I play my game. And 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 if you can't do that, then then you will get nervous. You know, mm-hmm. if you're worrying about, you know, well, somebody else and how they play and if they're gonna keep a ball in play or they're gonna hit a winner, you can't do that. You gotta be you. And mm-hmm. then and and then whatever that takes is uh and, and whatever the result is good enough. Nice. How about this I'm one? I'm giving away too many secrets. I like that we're, too many we're, secrets. we're getting through a lot of them. It's good. How about this one? Wild Bill Hill Hickok. You think that's his real name? Hello, Jim. I, I, I don't know. I hate to draw against him, though. Right, right. He's quick. You continued to use your steel racket, the T2000, when everyone else had switched to the modern graphite. How did you beat Lindell in two consecutive U.S. Open finals with your steel racket when Lindell was playing with the more modern graphite? Yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, that racket was an extension of me. Uh, and Given that racket up, uh, I, I think I played with it a number of years too long. But hey, uh, I, I love that racket. It was, uh, you know, what I made my my reputation. I made my career. I made my legacy with that racket. Uh, and you know, to give it up was was very difficult. But uh, that racket gave my my style of game everything I needed. Uh, it, it it had a little bit of a trampoline effect. Uh, uh, because it wasn't it wasn't wood; it was a uh, steel, and the way it was strung made it a little bit faster for me. So that that once I got the racket started, that uh, the racket did a lot of the work for me. Plus, the racket was very heavy; uh, it weighed like 465 grams. Which uh, you know, if uh, if you know all about that stuff, you figure that out how heavy that is. But it was a heavy racket. Plus, lead tape. Yeah, you know, right. Yep. Exactly. And, yeah. and plus I added more weight to it, uh, you know, to make it work for me. So, uh, yeah, you know, once I started playing with that racket, giving that up, you know, broke my heart, but that's uh, the only way I could have stayed and tried to compete was to go to a different racket. And unfortunately I didn't really find one, 
you know, and, until I started the senior tour, uh, really, uh, well, really the, the, the 91 U.S. Open, I, I, I found a good racket. But uh, afterwards, I found the Prince Mono uh, yeah. when I played the senior tour for, for 10 years, which I still have about uh, eight of those rackets today, which was uh, if I'd have played with that racket the last four or five years of my career would have been, would have been pretty special because that played more like the T2000. But yeah, the T two thousand was pretty special for me. I loved it. Yeah, I always think it's crazy because people give you shit for staying with that racket, you know, too long or so long. But then you look at your results, like all those years, you're still making like quarters and semis of slams and like you know, semis of tournaments or winning a few tournaments. All the while, like struggling to figure out your racket, and like I feel like the technology must have advanced more in like that ten year period from like seventy eight to eighty eight or something like that than it has since eighty eight. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder how much has it really changed these last 10 or 15 years, you know, in comparison to what, like, the you know, the changes were when you went through. So Yeah, that's, that, that's a good point, Brett. I mean, you know, the, you know, you went from, you know, the the wood rackets or the T2000, you know, to it was more of a midsize. It wasn't an oversize. It went to a midsize racket, which gave you a little more space to hit the ball. And then, you know, once they went to the, to the oversize, holy Christ, it was like, uh, you know, playing with... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's well, like playing in the with, strings, in the strings too. Right, the strings too. Like you were playing with natural gut, you know, like all the time. And like, I don't. No one plays with gut. The last person I think played with some guy. I think Fed used to play with like half of his half was gut. I think like interesting. Half, you know, like his across was gut, and then the other ones were were the other more modern kind. But uh, yeah, I just think that's crazy. Like if you were because Fed Fed, I remember Fed famously switched rackets you know like when he was struggling there a little bit in the mid whatever it was teens and then eventually figured it out and he switched to a little bit bigger racket it wasn't even that much of a change i feel like it was just a little bit bigger like it gave him a little, mm -hmm. little more whatever it was you know it was like improving on that old wilson staff that you started with in the 80s when it first came out i think he played kind of with that a lot of his career so yeah right. it's, it's crazy because you were you know still competing and like in winning a lot of matches all the while like still going like i'm not really comfortable with this racket <laughs> you know? yeah but just it, it just went to show how how precise my game was you know in in the game that uh that i was taught by by your grandma mm -hmm. uh, you know the the you know the uh, the precision of hitting the ball in the in the very middle of the racket you know uh in in the in the space of a dime uh, you know to because that was the only way you could play with that racket if not it was like a thud you know, mm -hmm. so, you know, my timing and, and, and my, uh, you know, my strokes and everything you know, really fit that racket. And, and uh, you know, not at the beginning. It took me a while to get used to it. But, you know, as I, I've said before, a lot of great players had tried that racket over the course of the years and couldn't master it. You know, mm -hmm. so, you know, that, uh, you know, my, my legacy is that racket or, or that racket is that legacy or is my legacy, their legacy. Mm -hmm. You know, we fit, yeah. uh, you know, together. I mean, because nobody else really was able to master that. And and the fun part about that whole story, Brett, is that uh, Rene Lacoste, uh, the, the great French player and, and engineer who invented uh, the T2000, I mm -hmm. became very good friends with. Right. And uh, talking to him about 
you know, how that came about and, you know, why it was strung like it was and, and, you know, how the power came and, you know, you know, how did you string it? And he asked me that he says, you know, why did you like it? How did you string it? He was asking me questions, you know, yeah. and I'm going, wait a minute, we, you, you made it, you designed it. I should be asking you. I mean, yeah. it was, it was <laughs> such a relationship with him, you know, and, and I cherish those days because, uh, because uh, um, uh, Nastasi, Ali Nastasi, was a great friend of his, and he introduced me to him. And oh my God, it turned out to be such a, a fun relationship that I had with him. And and uh, and and for him to have made that racket and and to have made a lot of my success was was fun uh, to talk about with him. Also, yeah, I mean, visually, it's a it's an awesome racket. I feel like it's probably a difficult racket because the sweet spot's so tiny. But uh, throughout history and in media, you see it pop up. It'll be on TV shows or in movies. And if you need an old school looking racket, it's usually a T2000 or a wooden a wooden one. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a great piece of like tennis you know, memorabilia history. And, and uh, it's an awesome part of your career. I got I've got the last 10 rackets that I walked out onto the court with that I played my last match with. I have those rackets that have not been touched. They still have the same string, the same everything on them and and uh and and and, I, and i've got them uh you know and, and i'm not going to get rid of them i mean it's a it, it's amazing sometimes to go in the closet and and just see them there and i'm yeah. saying shit maybe i should take them out and and try to go hit a few with them and and uh but i can't, I can't touch them because that that's uh that's the last of of uh what i played with and it's uh they're they're pretty special it's like a little mini time capsule just sitting there. Yeah, got the exactly. Sticker on it with the uh, with the tension that you got <laughs> and everything. Right. Yeah. All right. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, really good. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for candidates isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. That's according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring easy. I don't have a lot of time here on the podcast. I'm busy. I got work, stuff going on. But Indeed is my one-stop shop. They have everything I need in one place to give me everything I need when I'm looking to hire. Indeed's my one-stop shop. It has everything I need all in one place. So when I go there, I know I'll be taken care of. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And here's my favorite part, you guys. Listeners of this show, Advantage Connors, get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your job more visibility at Indeed.com slash Connors. Just go to Indeed.com slash Connors right now and support our show, Advantage Connors, by saying you heard it here. It really helps us with the algorithm, baby. Indeed.com slash Connors. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? Then you need Indeed. Get unparalleled access to job seekers with over 350 monthly unique visitors globally, according to Indeed data, and extend reach greater through Glassdoor. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. 
Hiring with Indeed, your search is over. Here's here's a good one I think you can talk on. Chris New said, why did you never suffer burnout? And why do so many young tennis players burn out at such a young age, even when they're at their peak? Yeah, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'll talk about me. I I never suffered burnout because I I never overplayed. Uh, And that was the one thing that, that I was taught early was and and that's why i i would only go out and i would i would break my back and kill myself for 45 minutes or an hour in my my daily workouts because i would never overplay and and which meant that when i would play my matches that i was ready to play i wasn't tired i wasn't hurt uh, you know i wasn't uh, thinking about doing anything else the only thing i wanted to do was uh, was go out and play those matches you know and and uh, that 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 means overplaying in practice that means overplaying before uh, going into a match. That means overplaying too many tournaments in a row. And uh, the the one thing was that I thought it was more important to play two tournaments, maybe three, and be on the weekend of of every tournament, which means I was in the semis or the finals of every event, and then and then being able to take time off because I was getting my match play. And I was getting in good shape because I was playing, you know, six or seven days every week, and and so my uh, my schedule was uh, was very important, and and I never played too much to where I I ever thought that I was tired and didn't want to go play. I was always eager to play. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of that has to do with grandma because I feel like oh, no, for sure I feel uh, like she from the very beginning. Yeah, she's the one who installed that. You know, <laughs> leave you wanting more. You know, like to, don't burn, don't go to your exhausted and can't play anymore. You know, maybe only play 75% of what you're able to play. That way you're like, hey, now I, I still want to keep playing. Like, why don't we stay? I mean, it's all right. And then you're excited to come back tomorrow and you look forward to it instead of being like, geez, I'm worn out. You know, I can't keep this up every day sort of a thing. I think you had some secret conversations with grandma. I did. Yes. Yeah. I did. <laughs> way back yeah. in the day. Way um, back. Yes, sir. But yeah, I think uh, that. And then I think you were a pioneer in like scheduling. You know, I think there's so, so many players too, when they're young, they come up and they're, they can play every week because they're young and, and they're, you know, have all this energy and all of a sudden they're coming into money and they see all the money and they're having success. So they're like, I'm just going to keep playing, trying to win. And I feel like it's a little bit of a trap, you know, where like, you know, you back in the day would really spread it out. Like I'd rather play less and have better results and be in shape and be healthy than, you know, play a couple more events and wear myself out and not be good for the last two of them and blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. But here's the, here's the other thing. If you win, you're going to make the money. Exactly. You know, you don't, you don't have to play 10 tournaments. If you, if you win four of them, you're going to make the money anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that was more, you know, my, my thought and, and what I was taught is, you know, go out and, and get to the weekend you know, which means you're a semifinalist or a finalist and you're winning. So, you know, but back, you know, back then I'm making, you know, chicken salad, you know, as opposed to, I'm not going to say the other thing, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're getting to the semis in the finals, which means you're going to make the money anyway, supposedly, especially mm-hmm. in today's times. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, if I, if I was playing in today's times, I, you know, I might only play 12 tournaments a year. Right. You, you know, and, and but but my thought would be I'm in the semis or the finals every week, right. and as, as opposed to you know killing myself and chasing a dollar because you know I I know what it's like chasing a dollar, Brett. Because back then I was playing you know 45, 46, 47 weeks a year, 
you know, because, you know, because I was chasing the dollar because the money wasn't wasn't really there. You know, but but now with these kids, I mean, geez, you have a, a couple good weeks. It makes your whole year. Right. Uh, you know, so, you know, taking care of yourself, being healthy, you know, understanding what it takes to get your game to the top and, and be ready to play the major events. You know, if they can figure that out, then, you know, pretty good. Be pretty yep. good for them. Yeah, I feel like you'd probably play, let's see, 13, you'd probably play like 16 weeks a year. I feel like you'd play the the, the Masters 1000s, right? You'd probably play the four Grand Slams. So there's 13. Yep. And then you'd probably want to play some event leading into some of those events. You know, you'd probably like a warm up or some sort of small event two weeks before the U.S. Open starts, you know, or two weeks before Wimbledon starts, play Hala or something like that, you know. But it would and, be interesting. And, that, and, that, and they also play about eight weeks of exhibitions. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> that, that to me would be, you know, I mean, I, I know what it was like playing uh, with Nastasi and traveling, you know, through Asia or South America or the States or, you know, wherever. And, and, you know, being on a, a crazy schedule playing six out of seven nights or five out of seven nights and, and, you know, and going and playing in front of crowds and hopping on a plane right after that and going to the next city. That was exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was it. But back then, that was the way that was the way we made a living. Yeah, you know, we we weren't making a living from the tournaments. We right. were making Sponsors. we were making a living from the special events and uh, and the exhibitions. Mm -hmm. uh, and and then uh, you know if we, if we played some tournaments and we got guarantees. Oh wait, did I say that? <laughs> I, well, I then I, I think this will lead into a good question that I want to get your take on. If you were playing today. It came out like, uh, what was it, a week ago that in, I think, October, there's something called the Six King Slam in Saudi Arabia. It's got Djokovic, Nadal, I think Carlos, Sinner, Medvedev, and Runa. And so uh, give me your take on this. We've talked about it with LIV and we brought it up on about the tennis in the past, but it seems like Saudi Arabia is, it's coming. Like they're going to be a part of tennis more and more in the future. What that means, however, it's going to be that there's talk of maybe another Masters 1000 being there. So we'll have to see what, how it goes with that. But what do you think about this with the controversy of like, you know, everything we've talked about? And then, like you just said, like a lot of your money and your schedule is these exhibitions and these other events that aren't part of the tour where you make a lot of your appearance money and a lot of money, especially in somewhere with Saudi Arabia that has so much money to give. It would be a hard thing to turn down, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, didn't uh, Nadal just sign a contract with Saudi? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, money, money changes everything, Brad. Money, money changes everybody's thoughts, everybody's attitudes, everybody's wants. You know, and and uh, you know, and, and now you can see it's it's in sports, it's in politics, in government, it's in everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so what what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to to be able to be in a position to, you know, take advantage of that, whether, whether that's your thoughts, whether that's your beliefs or not, uh, you know, it's, a, you know, but money changes everything, changes the attitudes and the way people think and, you know, their views on things and, and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's all, it's all a matter of, uh, you know, what you think and, and what right. you want to do and, and how you want to handle it. So yeah, right. there it is. And, and I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things like if you don't do it, the money's just going to go to somebody else. They're still going to have the event. Exactly. Somebody's going to do it. If somebody's you don't, somebody do else it. will. Right. And, and also, and also like, you know, 
there's a, there's always that hypocrisy where people are like, how could you do it? Like, how could you take their money? And it's like, well, they're one of our biggest allies. They're America's one of America's like huge allies. Saudi Arabia, we do tons of business. Yeah. All the human rights stuff, whatever you want to get into with that. But it's always weird when he gets put on the athletes to make these like moralistic stances. And uh, yeah, yeah it's but you tough. see, you see where it's gone in golf. You see what's happened in golf. Uh, right. You know, and and uh, you know, ten, you know the the what what is the the interest that is had in soccer? That's big, also, right? They just had the World it, Cup over there. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So tennis, you know, if ten, tennis is surely going to have to take advantage of it. I mean, obviously, you know, with Nadal's, you know, uh, and and his interest in what he's doing, you know, that's, you know, he he's from Spain. You know, I'm, I'm talking from you know, an American uh, point of view, but, you know, but is there a different point of view? I, right. I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Yeah. You, you know, it, it's uh, because it, it doesn't it come down to, God, I hate to even say this, but I want to say it anyway. You know, when it comes right down to it, you know, who's really going to take care of you if you don't take care of yourself and look after yourself is, you know, that everybody doesn't say, Oh, that's selfish. You can't say that, but it's bullshit. I mean, because when it comes right down to it, if you don't take it, you said it, Brett, somebody else will, you know, and, and to have an opportunity, you know, isn't that what you get good for? Isn't that why you want to be the best, you know, to at least have an opportunity to make your own decision on something like this, no matter who offers it to you. Yep. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I often think, that you know, if I if I was thirty, again, you know, and 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 some of uh, of this came my way, you know, how would I handle it? You know, I mean, I can't just say, well, I'd have done this, right? Because I don't know, because I'm not there. But I've often thought about that, you know, and what my thoughts are, and what you know, how I would handle it, and where I would go, which direction I would go. But uh, it's 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 interesting, you know, to have these opportunities. You know, with the with the amount of money that's being thrown around now, wow, what a time to be alive! Yep, <laughs> that's pretty, yep. pretty that's good. going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it's interesting to watch it play out, just because like they're Saudi Arabia is like you know they're using sports to kind of what do they call it sports washing, where they're like kind of wa- trying to wash their reputation by like inserting themselves into all these sports, and people love sports and love these players, and then you know it kind of gets all mixed together and mushy, and then you forget about it, and then after some time goes by, then you're just used. Hey, it's the tenth time they've had this slam, you know, like this, uh, right? You know, the whatever sixteen slam, and it just becomes like a historical thing, and young people grow up thinking it's always been there, and then it's normalized. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to watch it play out. The WTA side is very interesting because like the view on women over there and if the WTA decides to make a deal or how is that going to be handled and everything. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just a good, good topic to keep an eye on and we'll see how it plays out the rest of the year. Um, don't want to keep you too much longer. How about, I think this is a good one for you. Chris Howard, what do you do today to deal with your competitive spirit? And so I think what he means is, or what I think is a good way to put it is when you leave tennis and you're as competitive as someone like you, and then you don't have the tennis anymore, like how do you get, how do you scratch that itch or how do you feed that part of you that is competitive? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a good question because, you know, tennis, when I was doing it pretty much full time was, you know, four five, six hours of my day. Even during practice, you know, I'd hop in a car and I'd go someplace and I'd practice and I'd hit balls and, you know, and then, then I'd train a little bit and then I'd, have, I'd drive home. And then, it, it, you know, so, you know, the day was, 
pretty much built around tennis and, and what it took to, you know, for me to stay competitive and, and, and to be at that level. So my my competitiveness now is is getting up and, you know, trying to be as successful as I can be on whatever I'm doing that day. You know, so what is that? You know, so I get up, I get going, I get on the stock market and I look at my investing and I enjoy doing that. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say to follow me or, or to, or to say, you know, how good am I, but, but I, I like doing that. And I, and I like the research and, and I like trying to figure out, you know, uh, things that are going to happen in, in the market and with stocks and, and so forth like that. Also, I, I have found a replacement. Uh, not that I'm uh, very good at it, but I, I like trying to get better on a daily basis at golf. Now, does that take up five or six hours? If I'm out playing 18 holes and going to the range and doing all that, sure, that's a five or six hour day, six or seven hour day. But even on a smaller basis of going to the range for a bit and you know trying to work on my swing or work on my putting or my chipping and my short game and you know just trying to figure out a way to get better, that's what tennis was for me, you know, and my competitiveness was trying to get better every day at something. you know, was it you know my approach shots? Was it my conditioning? Was it my net game? Was it you know whatever it was? and that and that's Trying to find that, you know, is not easy. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have stopped playing tennis, uh, that uh, or stopped playing football or baseball or basketball or whatever, that have had that competitive drive that have to find a replacement. And it's hard, it's hard to do because once you're at the top of a game and you know what it is to, you know, to be number one or be, you know, be, be scratching at the door, be a number one, that, you know, to, to try to replace that is difficult. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Uh, and, and so, you know, I mean, not, not that I need that now, uh, you know, to be happy because, I mean, I, I have so many other things outside of tennis that, you know, now define my life. I mean, tennis doesn't define my life anymore, but I have so many other things that, that I can uh, try to be good at that, 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 uh, aren't even in sports, you know, or right. not, you know, or whatever that, and uh, you, I feel like you that, work out a lot too. You're very disciplined. You're super disciplined yeah. with your eating pretty much. And, and, and you always get a workout and you do something. And I think a little bit of that is that, you know, that discipline itch too, or like, you know, you're always <laughs> getting up and being physical and working your body out and taking care of yourself. And I think yeah, but that's, that's still not five or six hours of the day. Like tennis was right. You right. know, so, so, uh, you know, so that, and then, you know, finding another couple of things and then, you know, but, but also, you know, Brad, you know, what, once, you know, you get through, you know, what, what I've been through and the training and everything, you know, enjoying life is not a bad thing either. Right. You know, like, totally. you know, you know, spending Valentine's Day with your mom and, you know, talking to you and your sister on Valentine's Day and, you know, and, and taking care of our pets. And, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes just living life ain't a bad thing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to, you know, and to be honest with you, I've gotten pretty damn good at that, <laughs> you, you know, you know uh, kind of cutting loose of of uh, what I was. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and who I was and, and what that meant. And, you know, living my life now is, is, uh, is good, if not better than that. Yeah. Uh, it, but, but that takes a, 
you know, sometimes you got to, you know, you know, take a shot in the in the gut, you know, to understand that, hey, you're not going to be up there all your whole life, you know, yeah. so take advantage of it while you can and be the best you can. And then whatever yeah. comes after that, you got to appreciate that, too. And, and and I've become pretty good at that. Yeah, you have. I think uh, it, it's funny because golf, I mean, because all the other sports, it's hard to play forever. You know, all the, most of the sports are pretty physical and it's hard to keep playing as you get older, but golf seems to be the thing that everybody, especially athletes, former athletes all get into because it is kind of like that. It's, it keeps that, you know, not, maybe not an addiction, but the discipline or whatever it is of trying to get better at something and having something to look forward to the next day to work on, to practice, to play with your friends, to have fun, you know, and, and the only other person I've ever seen who's as competitive as you, where we saw that when we played with them was Jordan. When we would, uh, you know, Michael Jordan would have camps out in Santa Barbara every year, a Nike camp at UCSB. And, you know, we were lucky enough to get, get in some of those games and he got like hooked and he still has it. You know, he was such, such a competitor, you know, right. also to gamble a lot, you know, and, and golf is just like, it hooks you because you yeah. never affect it. You're never going to get like, Oh, I got it now. Because like you might have some parts of it that day, but then other parts aren't so good. You know, your putting's good. Your driving's good. Your chipping sucks, you know? Right. And so it's always something to get better at and, and improve at. And I think it, uh, you know, it scratches that itch for a lot of uh, athletes, a lot of people in general. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, you know, the, the one thing is, you know, if you, if you play tennis, you play baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever. And, and after your career, you go to golf when you get older. So where do the older golfers go? <laughs> you know, you know what, what, what do they go? They, they just continue playing. Obviously, that's how, how fun it is to continue, you know, and try to, and try to keep, you know, get, to get better or to keep your game at a certain level and, and, you know, and spend the time of it, of getting better with your friends and, and the hangout. To me, the hangout is just as much fun as playing, totally. you know, and, and, uh, competing against your buddies and, you know, you know, playing for, uh, you know, whatever you play for. And, and then, and the, of course the settling up after is, uh, is the best, you know, is right. the, the biggest smiles. That's the that's the entertainment. We want to put a camera on you guys when you're settling up, and there's all the disagreements over who scored what on what hole. Uh, you okay? I know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's a it's a great sport, and you know, it, it gives you that. You know, it gives you the camaraderie. And golf's not actually that fun if you don't play with fun people. Like you can get stuck in a group, and you're just like miserable. You know, like it right. takes into and also playing for a wager. Yeah, you uh, yeah, got to have some money on it. That that just makes it even more interesting. And and uh, but you're right; it's the guys you play with. And the the good thing about it is is 
you know, as compared to tennis. I mean, you know, you can say things and whatever, but in, in golf, you got to be able to give it and take it. Uh, you oh, yeah. know, because, you know, I mean, if, if you think that uh, that your buddies aren't going to give it back to you, whatever it, whatever it is, is uh, that that's the most fun. And and then to, you know, to be able to, you know, come down to the 16th or 17th hole and, you know, try to make a putt when it really counts. And, you know, you know, and uh, I mean, it just, it, you know, anything that 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 makes my heart pump a little bit faster once in a while is fun. Uh, nice. you, you know, and, and uh, that, that's. It's yep. a good day when that happens. I mean, there's nothing better than shooting a good score, making a good putt. So I love it. Okay, last question. This is a fun one. I never actually asked you to break it down, like where you came up with it. Was it a natural thing? Andy Barron asked Jimmy, I, "You got to know if you. I, I got to know if you invented the underarm fist pump, and if so, what an unbelievable feeling you gave your fans and the entire world when you got pumped up." <laughs> so I see. I see a lot of people talk about like other people. Like with the fist pump, as if it's like, oh, Tiger Woods fist pump, this person fist pump. And you, you can go back on the tape and your fist pump is heavily sprinkled in your matches way before a lot of the people they try and claim uh, invented it. Well, I, you know, the, the passion that I played with, Brad, uh, you know, and the, the love of the game and, and the, you know, the, the, the fun of being stuck in a, you know, in a, you know, live or die match, you know, having to come through when it really counted, you know, I, I wasn't afraid to show my emotions, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it was one, one thing that, you know, I was, I was pretty proud of was, you know, I wore my emotions on my sleeve, you know, the people in the crowd knew how I felt, you know, whether I was winning or losing or whatever, maybe my opponent didn't, but my, you know, but the, you know, the people in the stands did. And I, I wasn't afraid to show that. And, you know, my exuberance and, you know, I mean, I got criticized for it at, at the at the U.S. Open because, you know, you got these, you know, putzes that, you know, said, oh, it's a pelvic thrust. You know, you know, you know let your mind wander, you stupid ass. You know, because, <laughs> you know, all, all, all they were, you know, they were trying to bring something negative into something that I was trying to make positive. Yeah, you know, and and you know the the excitement and the exuberance of of the way I was playing in in the crowd, you know, trying to push me to be better than I was, and all that, and trying to give you know them you know an opportunity to get more involved in you know the match and what I was doing, you know. So the fist bump for me was you know my way of of, of showing how I felt about what they were trying to make me do. Uh, right. You know, and, and it just seems, you know, when I go back to, to 1991, you know, and the, the matches and, you know, my, my attitude in that, I mean, they, the, they, the crowd, the fans gave me everything I ever wanted was noise. You know, right. it wasn't, Shh, he's got a four foot putt. We don't want to have any noise here. Listen, mm -hmm. the more noise, the better. And right. and I love that the planes flying over, uh, the crowd moving, the cheering, the booing, yeah, you know, e everything that was going on there. That that just made more excitement for me. And and uh, I don't know the uh, the fist bump. You, you you can talk about anybody's one. You don't have to talk about mine. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, you know, I I did it. If you if you want to see it, go look at it. Yeah. Well, I, I, if, I always if you don't if you don't want to put me in there, don't. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know me, brother. I mean, if I have to tell you what I did, I must not have done it so well. No, no. You I think, know, I think he's claiming that you know you did it 
first, especially in tennis. But I think I always picture it was that it was kind of like your interaction with the crowd. Like you would do it and I almost feel like your fist had like a string on it with the crowd. And like you would like pump, you know, would like go into the fist pump and then that crowd would raise up, you know, and right. cheer and stand up and get, you know, get in your face. And, and all of a sudden you're like connected. There's not that barrier. There's not that wall between like the fans right. and people playing the sport. And like so the many more, players. the more the fans were involved with me, the better. Yeah. The, the the more the more I could bring them down playing with me, the better. And the more noise they made, the better. You know, a lot a lot of the the guys didn't like that. Yeah, you know, and and uh, so you know, I think that was why sometimes a lot of the guys thought it was difficult to play against me because, uh, because of that, because they knew the crowd was you know, was, was waiting for something to, you know, to bring them into it and, and to be a part of it. And, you know, but, but the fit, the fist pump was not after the very first point or the game or whatever, the fist pump was, was there for something that really meant something, you know, a, a great passing shot up the line or a, a great return to serve or something mm-hmm. at, a, at a big, t- a big time where, where you could turn the match on that. Yeah. And things would change. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, a lot of a lot of the players would go after the first point and they would, you know, pump their fist and you know, wait a minute. You know, you just started the match. You know, what what's happened? Nothing's really happened yet. You know, something important had to happen, you know, for me to do that. You uh, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. For you to whip out the fist pump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I get it too, because yeah. so, so many people it's like they want every point to be similar, the same, and so they want to react almost in doubles. They high five after every point, but you're right; it needs to be brought out at the right time because then it means more. It gets more of a reaction, and I yeah. think people people don't realize that like a lot of there's a huge crowd at all these tennis matches, right? But not everybody in that crowd is a big fan of either of those players. Like your favorite player might not be playing that day; they might be out of the tournament, they might not even be in the tournament, they might be on another court. You don't have a ticket to that court. So like there's people in the crowd who are rooting for you and then rooting for your opponent. And then there's like a big chunk of the crowd. That's kind of neutral ish. Yeah. They don't really care about either one of you. Yeah. They (laughs) don't care or they just want a good match or they're looking to be like one over, you know, they're looking for like, Hey, I don't really know much about these guys or this is my first tennis tournament or whatever it is. They're looking for that person and the person who's going to draw them in and going to say, Hey, come on my side, you know, jump on my back. We're going to have fun today. I'm going to bring you into this and, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun and try and you know, win. Right. Well, so, you, you know, you know, the one, the one thing uh, that, that I always thought is uh, when my match was over, no matter what, win or lose, that s- somebody left that stadium and said, I had a great time. I want to tell my buddies about this and I, and, and I want to come back tomorrow. You know, whether whether I'm playing or not, you know, to come back tomorrow and to be a part of what we were selling. You know, we, you know, we were we were selling tennis back then, Brad, trying to get on the front page of, of a newspaper up against Joe Montana or Pete Rose or Muhammad Ali or Wayne Gretzky or, you know, trying to, you know, to, to steal our little, you know, uh, patch of the paper, you know, and, and to. To have have somebody go out and say, "Man, what a great time! Come on, guys, let's go let's go watch that again tomorrow." You know that was important. Yeah, you know, and and uh, you know that's really what helped sell tennis back in the day. I mean, you know, I can't, I, I I hate to keep going back and saying it, but people 
fans weren't just going to come and watch guys hit tennis balls running around in a pair of white shards. They weren't going to do that. They needed to see, you know, some grit and some grind and, you know, and, and some, you know, they're, they're used to baseball and basketball and football and, you know, contact and, you know, guys mixing it up and, you know, like, like your grandpa, you know, my grandpa, your great grandpa always said, you know, tennis is boxing at 90 paces. You know, yeah. that, that's what they wanted to see, you, you know, and, and, you know, and, and if they, if they saw how important it was to me, you know, they said, well, shit, th- this might be something, you know, I want to, I want to come back and watch this again, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, when they, you know, when, and when I would get, you know, that excited and, and that into the match and, you know, was able to, you know, be able to throw a fist pump and, you know, and, and that just showed them, you know, what it meant to me, you know, and, and, and how, you know, how proud I was that I was able to do that in front of them, you know, and- in front of that crowd. And yeah. like an and an acknowledgement of them, I feel like a lot of players they almost keep their eyes below the crowd. Like they're taught to like, hey, you know, everything's down here on the court. Don't worry about what's going on outside of you. Just you know, handle nah. your business and and that stuff. So like when you do acknowledge the crowd and interact with them, that's fun as a fan. Like right. as a fan, that's all you're looking for. If you buy a right. ticket, you want to see a good match or a good game. And if you can feel a part of it, catch a foul ball, high five a player, you know, have the player look right at you or say a word to you or listen to you, then like you're thrilled. Right. Yeah. So. I listen, I, I I agree. And I keep going back and saying the, the the fans are paying some big money, you know, to go see the Super Bowl or go see the US Open or Wimbledon or the World Series or, you know, uh, the, the NBA finals or whatever. Uh, and they're paying big money for that. Yep. You know, and 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 they don't want to walk off of their walk out of there and ever say, really. <laughs> I mean, they want to walk out of there saying, "God damn, I wish I could go tomorrow." <laughs> right? right? Yeah, do you it know, again. And, and, yeah, I want to do. I want to do that again. That was the most fun I've had. It's worth it. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I mean, it's you know, it, but every everybody has their own personality and their own their their own character, and and I'm talking about tennis now. And mm-hmm. and they have their own style of play, you know, and, and you know, they, they just got to find, you know, what it takes to, to grab that crowd when they play and, and make them want to be a part of what they do. So, hey, it's, it's not easy because I'm going to tell you, the fans are smart. The fans are so smart and they know that that and, and they're not going to be, you know, fool. They, they, yeah, they're not going to they're not going to be bullshit. This is right. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to understand that, you know, this, this guy's for real or this guy's a fake. They'll, they'll know that in a heartbeat and, and they won't put up with it. So it's a fine line, but uh, Hey, it's, it's worth trying no matter what, see what yep. happens. I like it. A couple quick things before we go, you mentioned Super Bowl, Mr. Parlay winning guy here picking well, uh, Kansas city and the under the under hit by half a point. It was 47 and a half when we talked about it last week. It ended up going lower, but you made the bet at 47 and a half. Kansas City, tough to bet against Mahomes. San Francisco dominated that first half, didn't get enough points. They didn't get a big enough lead. And uh, Mahomes was able to bring him back and uh, and you hit the parlay. Good job. Also, also missing that uh, extra point was big. Yeah. 
Yep, yeah, that that turned out to be very big. But I want to say I I, uh, I I came out and I bet my mortgage on the game. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a mortgage, or fortunately, I don't have a mortgage, so I didn't bet anything. <laughs> so that's good. That's good. But, uh, but it, it's uh, it, it's it was a crazy game. The last fifteen minutes was uh, really made the game, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, you know I watched. I uh, was in and out watching a lot of it, but uh, I watched the last fifteen twenty minutes of it. Uh, you know, go, going into overtime and then overtime, and you know, like I said, you know, some some guys figure out a way to win. They just know how to win, yeah. and and it seems like Mahomes. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the way he plays and, and the way he scrambles his mind and everything that he has going for him when he's on that field, he just, he just figures it out. And, and, uh, you know, is it a dynasty? You know, I don't know. What is it to see? They I mean, won. Kinda, yeah. They won three two now. in a row. Uh, they, what they've won three now. Is it three, uh, three, three of yeah. the last four? Three or five, uh, the last five maybe or something like that. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, they they're 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 on a good run and and they're a young team yeah so not even 30 you know, yet yeah it's amazing so you, you it, can't it, let... it, it was it was, oh. a, it was a fun watch but i'm also going to say the quarterback for for san francisco out of you know coming yeah. out and being in the super bowl purdy i think his name is right yeah purdy yeah brock purdy yeah, yeah. uh and and for you know for you know his year and and uh what he has been able to do he's on the watch list you know, I, I hope he continues and and uh, comes out of it because he, he's got a good story too. And so, yeah, you know, yeah, in like San Francisco, they'll they'll be heard from. They'll be yeah, heard from again. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're good. They're, they're both the co-favorites to win it again next year, both seven to one. So that'll be interesting to watch. It's one of those things where you can't let someone hang around. You no, know, like it, tennis. Tennis is right. even better because there's no clock. But even when sports with a clock, hey man, you, they didn't get up enough. Like they were only right. one score and KC got the ball first in the second half. Right. So theoretically, right. they, they go down and score. It could be just tied and you dominated. So Mahomes yep. is, is pretty good. Shout out to the Kansas City Chiefs. Shout out to Caitlin and uh, Uncle Mike and all of our fam back in Missouri who's Kansas City Chiefs fans. Last thing I'm going to let you get out of here on, tell us about your new sticks. You were talking to me oh. when I talked to you on the phone on the way home from work. Tell us about the new ones. Oh my, I, I just, uh, uh, when I was down seeing your sister, uh, and, uh, my friend that, uh, I play golf with down there, he set up a, a fitting, uh, with, uh, with the head guy with Titleist and, uh, who takes care of all the, the, the touring pros with Titleist. And so he set up a, a, a fitting for me to go, you know, work on my clubs. And, and I went and I spent three and a half hours with him on the range and hitting balls, I I took the set that I was playing with before, and 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 you know he says I want you to hit your seven iron of this and your driver of that, and 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 he says what don't you like about this? And so we just you know we kind of talked, but I think I hit like three hundred fifty balls over the course of that time, but he put together a set, Brad. I just I just got it uh, the full set two days ago, and it's a they're amazing. You know, I mean, we, we've had clubs fit before uh, where we've gone down to places, but nothing like this, where they take, uh, they have every shaft that you want with every head that you want on for your irons. And, and they, they just fit it and make it possible. And, and the, the length of the club and everything, it was the putter. most fun. Uh, Tell me about the putter uh, that you oh, got. Well, this the putter this is I even thought more was interesting. Because, 
the putter is even more important because I could get my irons in the air, but not like I am now with the with the clubs. But the but I but I suck at putting, and, and, and but I'm trying to get better. And he actually, you know, I I was just going to walk away. And he says he says how about trying to putter? And I said oh, oh okay. I said I've got thirty putters at home and none of them work. I said why will this one? So so he takes me in and he gives me a putter and and uh, and so I set up. I said I I really like that one. I have I have three or four just like that. And he and he took it and he says I set up and he says oh look at that. He says you're two degrees toe up. He says how about if if you keep your hands there and and I just turn that two degrees down so you're flat, you know. So he he custom fitted a putter for me and oh my god. I said, I've never, you know, I've never done that before. And it was so fun. And I can't wait to take them to the course. You know, nice. I'm talking like, I'm talking like I'm a little kid about this, but it, it's a, <laughs> it, it was, it was an amazing, uh, amazing time. And Scott, who, I mean, he was so patient with me and, and basically looked at me one time and I said, I said, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit picky. He says, if you dealt with some of the guys I've dealt with, you're nothing. It's a pleasure with you. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but, but he was such, he was so patient and, and, uh, it was so much fun, but man, I, I walked off there. My arms were like jelly. I mean, I was, I was uh, exhausted, but, uh, yeah. I just got him a couple days ago, and I, I I went out and and hit him uh, for for thirty minutes, and I didn't play any longer because I, I was amazed at the difference between the clubs. And I said, "Man, I don't I don't want to ruin this. I want to go and you know keep this on my mind." But I uh, can't wait to take him to the course. I'm gonna get into a game on Friday up here. There's a uh, all the guys are playing on Friday, and I want to I want to take him. I want to use him. I want to get in there, and I wanna, no matter what happens, I'm going to stick with them. Just stick fun. with them. Yeah. Don't if you have one bad round or hit a bad shot, don't bail on them like you do the putters. No. <laughs> but uh, no, no. I this uh, I I put all the other putters. Uh, they they have a timeout. I put them uh, away. I put them in the garage, and they have a timeout. This new one's in the bag to stay, and uh, I can't wait to to get out there, man. But you, I, I keep going back better and and you know i i know how i used to tinker with my rackets you know yeah. and uh, put some lead tape here and and maybe put a little extra weight in in this area and and maybe make it a little longer and and it's it's the same in golf you know the shaft and and uh you know the uh, the weight, kick point the and the grip and oh my god you know, I, I told you, I told Scott, I mean, and, and, and geez, in that three and a half hours, you know, we became friends. <laughs> you know, I, he says, he says, you'll stay here any longer. I said, no, I think it's time to go home. But, but uh, it, it was, it was really fun. And uh, it's, uh, I've got a great set of clubs now. And, and I, I found out another thing that, uh, you know, it's a 14 club rule. That's how many clubs I have now. Oh, you, yeah. you got whittled down there. You whittled yourself down a couple. <laughs> no, Scott whittled me down. He says, you got 14 clubs and, and that's enough. You don't need any more clubs because when I went with him, I had like 18 clubs in my bag. So that's too many. Dude. But, yeah, that was a little too many, but, uh, uh, well, it, but it was fun. It was a good time. Good to have you. Uh, Titleist fam. I've uh, played Titleist my whole life. I had a uh, shout out titleist dtrs you remember those from the 90s distance oh. through research and wow. then uh, and then we clubbed up to the dcis the direct wow. 
Central impacts. Do you yeah, yeah, you have a little see, green, you, you, a little green uh, triangle or the black triangle on them. <laughs> you, you've, uh, you, you've been with Titleist for a long time. This is, this is my first set of real Titleist clubs, and and uh, it's fun. It's going to yeah. be fun to to work with them. And and you're right. I mean, you know, I can't expect to go out, you know, the the first time or whatever. The first, I don't know how many weeks or whatever it's going to take, but I can't expect to be on it right away i mean i want to have to work with them and and uh you know kind of figure it out but uh man my my first impressions are they're really good really good nice well i'll bring my uh, titleist t200s not t2000 i got the t200s so uh, i've got the t350s i've got the t350s okay so i'll bring uh, i'll bring my sticks up next week and uh, we can go out and and test them out and uh, put a little money on the line what do you think oh i'll be looking forward to that Mm -hmm. i look forward to it in the meantime you can always follow me at jimmy connors on twitter you at brett underscore connors at twitter also follow us at Advantage Connors, ADV Connors, our podcast. And always yeah, send some Facebook. Yeah, send some questions into Facebook. Uh, we love answering your questions. And as always, it's uh, great being with you, brother. And this 25 minutes turned into, you know, uh, you know quite an <laughs> evening. So. You're, we're, you're talkative tonight. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, I'm a little talkative. I don't know. That's all right. It's been a good episode. It's been fun. And uh, I've had fun talking with you. And, and uh, I'll come up next week and, and we'll hang out and have some fun. Uh, why don't I you, love you. I love you too. Go hang out with mom. What a time to be alive. We'll talk to everyone next week. Peace. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.